I want to continue on Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And that's where we've been ministering all this year. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And here it is. And of joints and marrow. This morning we're going to look at your joints and marrow. Not your physical ones, but your spiritual joints and marrow. And the message this morning has to do with movement and motivation, service and strength. We have seen in the course of the messages on Hebrews 4 that God's word the sharp two-edged sword is good for battle. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have seen that God's Word, the sword of the Spirit, the two-edged sword is good for living as it divides soul and spirit. And this morning I want to see the Word of God Sharp in terms of service, piercing even to soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. You know, the Bible is a wonderful handbook for all that we need. But the difference between the Bible and other handbooks is that the Bible's exciting. It's fresh. It's always new. And, and there's nothing like God's Word in terms of it speaking to you and changing you. I don't mind some handbooks, but normally they're dull. But God's Word is not. It's living. It's fresh. And this morning we're going to use the scalpel of the two-edged sword, God's sharpened Word, and we're going to divide joints and marrow. What we're about to do, Pastor Marty, as I mentioned, can be painful and like all surgical procedures, is good for us. So I want you to grin and bear, receive what God would have say to you this morning. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. And so our bodies are seen as a living, holy sacrifice and the priest would always examine and look inside to make sure that the sacrifice was worthy for God the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him and other translations put serve him. And it's quite fascinating when you study scripture that worship and service are often interchanged. And the prophetic word we had this morning just 
you know, introduces beautifully uh, with what God would say uh, as we come into this message and, and, and as God is awakening us to serve him, that we might see his kingdom increase uh, and this church continue to grow. The Bible not only examines our service, but it directs our service. It looks at bones of mobility and it separates joints and marrow. The moving joint bone must be filled with marrow. And in Proverbs chapter 3, 8, we read, It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. And Solomon there is, is expressing that, that certain activities and devotions and, and uh, uh, living as God would have us, not only does it nourish the navel was the means of nourishing the baby, but also it fills our bones with marrow. Vital nourishment passes from the mother to the child through the umbilical cord. And the vitality of our bones continues to depend on the nourishment from marrow. And the things that Solomon says bring us this strength and nourishment and the marrow to our bones is in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And as we follow the precepts of God's word, there comes God's empowering, God's enrichment, God's strengthening. And the joint, as we look at the joint and marrow, the joint is the rounded piece of the anatomy of the bone at the end of the bone, which fits into a socket. And it talks about movement. It talks about mobility. And the two-edged sword, God's scalpel, wants to separate the joint from the marrow. God, as he looks at our service, wants to see the strength, wants to see the devotion, wants to see the marrow of the joint. And the two-edged sword separates so that marrow is exposed. I want to look at two stories from the New Testament. In some ways, they're similar. In other ways, they're very different. The first one is the sinful woman at Simon the Pharisee's home. In Luke chapter 7, we have the story where Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus home for a meal. Unusual thing to do because the Pharisees certainly were not listeners, were not followers of Jesus. They were very critical of his teaching. But Simon, for whatever reason, asked Jesus to come 
And his house would have been like many of the wealthier homes in Jerusalem at that time. There would have been within the center of his property, the house would go around a courtyard. And often in that courtyard, you had a fountain. And when the weather was nice, you would enjoy your meals in the courtyard. And whenever a Pharisee invited someone of prominence, a rabbi, and he called Jesus a rabbi, someone that was an outstanding teacher. In fact, the property was open for people to come and listen, come and enjoy, come and hear the wisdom, come and benefit from the guest. And this is what we have in this story. Uh, Simon invites Jesus for whatever reason we don't really know. You know, certainly the normal protocol, the normal courtesies that should have been offered to Jesus were absent. You know, when Jesus came, uh, he, he should have placed, because Jesus, he called Jesus a rabbi, he should have placed a kiss on his cheek. He should have given him some water to freshen his feet because his shoes were basic sandals and and the roads were not like our footpaths, but dirt tracks, and your feet would be dusty and dirty. And then because he was or should have been an honoured guest, he should have taken some oil and anointed the head of Jesus. But he did none of those things. And in the course of the meal and the way they sat at that particular time, they would kind of lean on their uh, lean on their left hand uh, in a kind of laid position and they will eat with their right hand. I remember some years ago when we went to uh, uh, Jordan and we were invited to stay in a truck driver's home. That's exactly how we ate. They had one room, it was a stone kind of home and that room was our dining room, then it became our bedroom and we kind of lay and we had our left hand on a cushion that raised us a little and we ate with our right hand. And that's what Jesus was doing when a woman that was called sinful, and that particular word is used, she was an immoral, possibly a lady that sold herself. She came in because anyone could come in. There was a rabbi and somewhere she had heard the wonder of Jesus' teaching. Somewhere she felt that encounter and that closeness as she saw this man that could look upon her and see her as valuable. See her as a person that could be changed. And as she listened to the wonder of Jesus' teachings, she heard that he would be in Simon the Pharisee's home. And she came into that home. And as she came into that home, she began, as she stood behind, not in front, stood behind where his feet were, she began to weep. And it was so profuse that his feet were washed with her tears. And then she took her hair and wiped the feet of Jesus. And all that time she continuously in devotion and love kissed the feet of Jesus. 
And then finally she took what was around her neck, a vial of ointment. It was very precious to any lady. You know, ladies have always liked perfume. And we men like it too. Not so much aftershave, but we like to smell uh, the lovely perfume on you ladies. And it was no different. You know, when you go back in history, we haven't changed. And she took this vial that would have been worth a lot of money. And it was her means of, you know, smelling nice, feeling good. And she took that and she anointed the feet of Jesus. And Jesus was able to read Simon's mind. And he was thinking if this was a man of God, he would have known that this woman is a sinner and he's allowing her to touch him. And Jesus reading his mind, Simon, he, she, he said, I want to tell you something. There was a creditor that was owed two amounts from two people. One owed 500 denarii, a vast sum of money. The other owed 50 denarii. Tell me, Simon, when both could not pay and the creditor said, yes, I'll forgive you both, who will love more? And of course, Simon said, the one that was forgiven most. And Jesus said that, when I came into your house, you invited me, the joint, the movement of asking me to come in and maybe as a curiosity to hear what Jesus would say, but you never honoured me with the normal things that you should have. But this woman who is a sinner, who out of the devotion of her heart comes and wants to serve me and bless me in this way. You are critical of her, but she has done what she, she could. And Jesus then turned and said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if you, you realize the power of that statement. You see, Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. Jesus had not died on the cross. The finality of salvation had not yet been accomplished. And yet out of the wonder of this service and this love, he was able to say this woman who had believed on him and loved him and came and poured her devotion upon him, he was able to say, your sins are forgiven. And she was in that unique class of people that were forgiven of their sins on the basis that Jesus would not fail, that he would go all the way to the cross, that his death would please the Father and bring salvation to the entire world. And in that story, we have some wonderful lessons. Both Simon and the sinful woman used their joints to serve. But when the living word of God separated joint from marrow, Simon was lacking. There was no marrow. There was no substance. There was nothing there that could please the heart of God. And the amazing facts from this story are that Jesus loves the sinner. Loves the sinner. You know, the sinner often feels unworthy 
The sinner often feels God cannot forgive. But the story tells us Jesus loves the sinner. It tells us that Jesus can always forgive. Always forgive even in this intermediate situation where even the sacrificial system was probably not appropriate for the forgiving of her sins. He was able to forgive her sins on the basis of being the Son of God, of coming to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish, that he might bring salvation to the world. And finally, we find Jesus fills us with a first love for sorrow. And this story, I want to say that, and the next story will elaborate on it, but if you want to know what's appropriate and the attitude of heart that's best to serve God, you go back to your first love. You go back to that moment when you found Christ, when God changed you. There's nothing you wouldn't do. There's nothing you wouldn't do. You see the marrow. The marrow produced the strength to the joint. And you're able to bless people and bless the kingdom of God. And and nothing was too much. The second story is somewhat similar, but yet it's different. And we see a separation of joints and marrow. And it's the story of Jesus at Mary and Martha's home. Now, initially, we find that Jesus was at Mary and Martha's home, and Martha was one of those practical kind of people that had to make sure the house was in order, had to make sure the food was right, had to make sure that everything was appropriate for the guests they had. Very practical, good lady, did a good work. But she had a kind of sister that she thought was a bit of a rogue sister that didn't want to kind of... I'm sure she did a part, but not when Jesus was there. You see, she saw in Jesus a fullness that she could draw from. She saw in Jesus the Son of God and his teaching and the wonder of his words was such that the other manual work did not seem that important. It was just a matter of listening and absorbing and taking in the wonder of the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. And that was, that's what she did. And, and, she, and Martha came to Jesus and said, look, I've got a bit of a problem with my sister. You know, there's a lot of work. She's doing nothing. I'm doing all the work. This is not how it should be. And uh, we find that Jesus... where she sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his words. And uh, then Jesus said to Martha, 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 you're worried about and troubled about many things. But one thing, one, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. We see this when Jesus visits Bethany again. We see that from the nourishment, from the teaching, from the wonder, from being in the presence of Jesus, we see that the marrow, the inner strength of Mary 
for serving Jesus had come to a point where she served him in a most remarkable way. And we find that Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, Bethany was almost like his second home. And uh, we find that uh, Jesus, uh, as he goes to uh, celebrate the Passover and then endure the cross, he comes to Simon the leper's home. Now, we don't hear much of Simon the leper, but it appears that Simon the leper was the father of the house. Then we have the other character that we've heard so much about, Lazarus, who was dead and raised to life again. And then we have Mary, who was just so full of Jesus and wanted so much of him. And then we have Martha. What a wonderful family. What a godly family. And that household was open to Jesus and Simon the leper obviously had been healed of leprosy. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Mary became a devoted follower of Christ. Martha served God. That's the kind of home God wants. And we find when Jesus came, we find that Mary went and she got one pound alabaster box of spikenard. Beautiful, aromatic smelling substance that came from India, very valuable. In, in, fact, in fact, when she brought it and smashed it and poured it upon the head of Jesus, uh, uh, she was criticised, why this waste? This could have been sold for 300 denarii. To give you an idea of 300 denarii, it was one year's wage for a working person. You're looking at something that was worth, say, $40,000, which was used in just a moment and smashed. And there was criticism concerning it. Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the disciples said, look, even if we get 200 denarii, they're only going to get a little bit each. So that amount of money was enough to feed a multitude. And they said, look, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. But you see, Mary, joint moved. And probably on behalf of the family, they had this precious heirloom set aside because it would be used for, for burial. It would be used for anointing. Now, Mary wouldn't have known the purpose of God that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to die. She didn't know that. But out of the love, out of sitting at the feet of Jesus, all she could do is go to the safe and bring that alabaster box. And she smashed it and poured it upon Jesus. Why this waste? And Jesus corrected those that thought that and said, you've always got the poor, but you know, there are moments in life where extravagance is what should be done. And if those moments have missed, they're missed forever. Every 
you know, they were poor 2,000 years ago. They were poor 5,000 years ago. There are poor people today. We can always help the poor. But there are moments when we need to joint and marrow needs to bless God's kingdom and the work of God. It was Mary who took the family's greatest treasure, reserved for the most important of all occasions, an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She poured this wonderful smelling perfume, broke the heirloom treasure and poured it upon the head of Jesus and the whole house was filled with its fragrance. This was one of the few and the last kindness that Jesus ever experienced in life. He didn't have, you know, he said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I often don't have anywhere to lay my head. There weren't many nice things done for Jesus, but this was one. This he knew was for his burial, gave him the courage, not the, the inspiration just to keep going. In spite of the complaints, let her alone, Jesus said. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Now, it's interesting, the word good work. There are two words in Greek that are used for good. One is agathos, which describes a thing which is morally good. And then there is kalos, which describes a thing which not only is good, but is lovely. Is lovely. You know, some things that are good can be austere, can be a little harsh maybe, but they're the right things to do. And then there are things that are lovely, lovely. And Jesus uses that word and says that she's done a lovely thing for me. You know, only humans, redeemed humans can do lovely things for God. You know, God doesn't want a masterpiece. He doesn't want the treasures. He put the treasures in the world. He gives us sunsets all over the world. He shows us the beauty of his creation. He doesn't need discoveries for he puts science in its place. But he does respond to a lovely thing. A lovely thing. And he said she's done a lovely thing. And church, God wants us to do lovely things. And I'm going to show you just how we're able to do those lovely things. For you have the poor with you always, he says, but you don't have me always. Some opportunities for doing our utmost for God come occasionally and must be taken. She has done what she could, which is the highest commendation any person can ever receive. You've done all that you could. And then he said, she came beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Somehow in her service, the Holy Spirit aligned that service to the purpose of God. 
to Calvary. And Jesus gave this extravagant service and worshipped the highest praise. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of her as a memorial to her. What a commendation. This was a memorial. More people know of this woman than know of the great leaders of Egypt and Greece and Rome. This story is better known for wherever the gospel has been preached. Her story, her deed is a memorial, is a memory. I've mentioned before that finances or money normally have three purposes. One is livelihood. We need a home, we need to eat well, we need to look after these bodies that God has given us. The second purpose for money is investment for future, for the times maybe when we need extra. And the third purpose for money is memories. And really that's the purpose that counts the most. Because at the end of the day when we find it hard to sit up, it's the memories that can't be taken from us. And you know, when we serve God, there are memories. There are memories. I listened to David Jeremiah this morning, and at the end of his sermon, he said, I've got an illustration. You probably, I've never heard it before. He almost didn't want to bring it because he was talking about crowns. And he told the story of a missionary couple from Africa, and this missionary couple had served their time. They were aged. They were ready for t retirement. Their health was not good. And they were on the same boat as Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt had just come from Africa from a shooting safari. And all the fanfare and everything there had to do with him, all the attention. And somehow, after giving a lifetime in Africa, these godly pair just felt somewhat neglected by God and then when they reached home the news and the applause, the applaud was there for Teddy Roosevelt who had killed a few animals and they went home dejected thinking God had forgotten about them found a little flat where somehow they could spend the rest of their life and the husband said to his wife, I, I feel somehow that God has not acknowledged our service. And she said, why don't you go and talk to him? And he went to his bedroom and he prayed. And he came back from the bedroom and he said, it's all right. And she said, what did God say? He said, you haven't come home yet. You haven't come home yet. There will be a fanfare. There will be for those that serve God. There will be those that have marrow in their bones and use their joints to serve God. There will be. One of the most fascinating passages of Scripture for serving God is found in Matthew 25. And you might like to turn to Matthew 25. And it's really a passage of Scripture that, that is eschatological. It has to do with end times. And it talks about the judgment of the throne of his glory. 
And it's the judgment that takes place at the end of the tribulation period that will separate the sheep from the goats, those that will enjoy the millennium. It's a fascinating passage of Scripture, but the wonder of that Scripture is that Jesus gives us an insight what our service does for him. And as he separates the sheep, we find in, from verse 35, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, when the hungry are fed, Jesus can smell the food. He can see the preparation. He's been to earth. He knows what it is to be hungry. For 40 days he fasted in the wilderness that even to make stones into bread was a temptation that was powerful. He knows the aroma. He knows the pleasure. He knows the wonder of food and what it does. And as we prepare it, he smells it. He sees it. As we give it, he tastes it. He knows it. He knows what it's doing. Because he's been there. When we go and visit someone, he knows what it is to be lonely. When we go and see one, someone that's sick, he knows when he received the stripes and felt every person's sickness. He knows the relief. You see, we have an open window that whatever we do to serve Others, Jesus is experiencing that and saying, Thank you. Hope Cafe, Cafe, all you busy workers there, he can smell the food, he can see the activity, he can see those that sit down and eat, he knows what it means to have a full stomach and an empty stomach, and the inspiration. And part of what God's word is doing this morning is, as we sit at his feet, he's feeding the marrow. And out of that marrow comes a service that he accepts and blesses him. And he would tell us that whatever we do for his kingdom, we are doing for him individually. Often we think, oh, if only he was here, right here, oh, what we could do. And how? No, we've got that chance with our neighbor, with someone. And what I want you to do this week, <clears throat> your bones are full of marrow. Amen? Get your joints working. 
do something lovely for God. Let Jesus enjoy the wonder of that act. Praise God. Next time I minister, I'm going to continue and I'm going to talk about Jacob's joint that the angel touched. And I'm going to talk about the fire in Jeremiah's bones. So we haven't finished our surgery, but God bless you. I just sense so much that God wants us out there in the community serving him. You know, there's just so much we can do for God's kingdom. There are so many people we can bring to the house of God. There is so much that God wants us to do. And he's teaching us through two ladies. The first simple woman and then Mary. That we need to give our utmost for his highest. Amen. Amen. God bless you.